All right. Uh, if you'll take your Bibles, please. We are going to turn to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. For our scripture reading, we're still looking at the life of David, but we're going to start here. We'll be spending some time in Psalm 56 this morning. And uh, I would invite you, please, if you are able, to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 56 is entitled, To the Choir Master According to the Dove on Far-Off Terebinths, a terebinths kind of tree, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I trust, I praise, in Yahweh whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So, when there is trouble all around you, trouble of all different kinds, whether it's uh, people trouble, health trouble, finance trouble, government trouble, uh, just pick the trouble. Who do you trust? Do you have trouble trusting at all? David uh, learned some lessons here. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we read that after he had stopped at Nob, to go see Ahimelech there and pick up some food and a sword. He fled that day from Saul. We read there in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. And he went to uh, Achish, the king of Gath, of all people. And the servants of Achish said to him, as in saying to Achish, Is not this David the king of the land? They got that detail wrong, but they understood that uh, he was prominent anyway, and they assumed actually he had that position because they'd heard that song. Um, Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart, we read there, and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, He pretended to be insane in their hands and made 
marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madman, madmen that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so David was able to leave. Now David, I think, had a good idea that that Doeg, the Edomite, was up to no good there in the tabernacle. That When you get to chapter 22, and verse 22, he thinks, oh, I, I should have known, I should have known. I realized when that guy was there, that was a problem. So he's got his little tingly senses going that something's wrong, so he doesn't tarry in Nob, he takes off. I don't think David ever would have guessed how badly it was going to end for the priests there, the priests and his and the priest's family. But David made his escape with his small band of soldiers to the last place that Saul would look among the Philistines. Among, just let that sink in. Among the Philistines. Remember those tens, tens of thousands that David had slain? Who was he slaying? The Philistines. He goes to hide among them. It's a rather brilliant strategy in theory. But in practice it needed a bit more planning. And at heart, it was flawed in its inception. Because it revealed that at this point, David, in his haste, was trusting in human solutions. And it did not take long to see that doing that was not a wise course of action. So when David shows up, no small alarm is raised. Does the, the, the city name of Gath ring any bells? Whose hometown was that? Goliath's hometown. I rather expect that David left Goliath's sword with his men outside the city. I don't think taking it into the town would have been a really good idea. Because that sword would not have been forgotten. But nonetheless, they recognized him. And the alarm was raised. This is the commander who had been systematically thrashing the Philistines on the battlefield for quite a while. So David left his men at a safe distance, apparently. And he enters Gath alone to scout out the situation. Only to be taken into custody. He was seized there by them by uh, Achish's servants and they bring him before the king and they remind the king that this is the man who's been killing them all along and David <laughs> though uh, he, he could be a brilliant strategist he realized that he had made a mistake and that this was not going well at all so David has to think fast it's not an easy thing to do when you're afraid. So, nonetheless, he pretends to be a madman, and he does it so effectively that Akish is just disgusted with him and sends him away, thinking him to be just a harmless lunatic. So the disaster was averted. But David did not come away from this situation without grasping the necessity of putting his trust in a better place. 
And so he writes a couple of psalms, actually, related to this. We're going to look at one of them today, and God willing, when I get back in uh, a few weeks after vacation, we're going to look at the other one. But we're going to look at Psalm 56 here as he writes... Uh, basically out of the realization that when you don't know who to trust you can absolutely trust Yahweh the overarching attribute of Yahweh that's in view in this particular psalm is his power because perhaps you noticed as I read that psalm that the name that gets used, Yahweh is used once, and, we'll, and it's used significantly, and we'll talk about that, but over and over and over again, God's other, other title, Elohim, is what is used. You see it as God there in the English translation. And Elohim means the Almighty One. And that is the emphasis here as David, under that umbrella, explores uh, at least ten reasons here why you can trust your Lord. So let's dig into Psalm 56 and see what we can see about these reasons for trusting Yahweh. The first one is found in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. David is crying out for God's grace. He is trusting in that grace. This is humbly recognizing that he deserves nothing. That's what grace is all about. If if we earned it, then it wouldn't be grace, would it? He cries out for that grace, and he's trusting in that grace. David would often plea for Yahweh to come to his aid because of his grace, and he did so with a great deal of, of confidence. He would say in Psalm 86, Give ear, O Yahweh, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. For you answer me. You and I can have that same kind of confidence. Our Lord does answer our prayers. He hears us when we're in trouble. And we don't come to Him, do we? Or we shouldn't come to Him with... Uh, kind of an entitlement mentality, like I deserve this. We recognize that we, we, we deserve nothing at His hands, but really, but, but judgment. But because of our relationship with Him, because of His love for us, because of His history with us, we can still come confidently with an expectation that He will act in accordance with His character and His, his nature and show grace to us. And so... You can trust Yahweh's grace just as David did. Because that same God who loved David and ministered to him and was gracious to him in spite of all of his warts is the same God that ministers to you and to me. Secondly, you can trust Yahweh's person, if you will. Uh, Verse uh, 3, when I'm afraid I put my trust in you. Now we just asked for prayer for uh, little Abel, and you know, when he got hurt, I'm pretty sure he didn't run to the neighbor for comfort. He ran to his mom. His he found his comfort and his hope in her, in her personally. 
He wasn't, I mean, certainly he was looking for her to help deal with the pain and the hurt. But more than anything else, where his comfort was coming was just in her arms. In her as a person. I mean, he's little. He doesn't know all the medical stuff and what she's all going to be able to do and all of that. He wasn't focused on that. He was focused on her. Comfort me. Well, in the same way, David is saying, I, my trust is in you. David's tried to work out how he's going to extract himself from the difficulty with Saul. And, and as he's focused on all the details, he messes up. But he learns that he can just run to his father, the Almighty One, who, though David doesn't know how this is all going to get fixed, he knows that God can do it. He trusts in God as a, a, as a person, as a being who loves him, who cares for him, who envelops him in his, in his compassion and his power. And finds comfort there. And you and I can trust God in the same way. He comes alongside us when we don't understand the path, when we don't know how it's going to go, when we can't figure it out. He knows it. And you can run to Him and just rest in Him. Because He loves you. Because He will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can trust Yahweh's Word. Verse uh, 4 and verse 10 uh, emphasize this. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. And then down in verse 10, uh, the similar, uh, similar thought. In God whose word I praise. And we'll talk about the second half of that verse in a little bit. But that emphasis upon the word of the Almighty One who will not fail you. When he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. When he says he will do something, he will do it. When he says something is true, we may put, we may bank our lives on it. Whether it's just in the day-to-day -day operation of our lives or the, our very souls when we trust his word that he has given to us, his son. And there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. We can trust that because we know that he will bring it about. And at the, at the end of his life, a life that was filled with lots of ups and downs and lots of, of failures on David's part, but also many times of victory as well with the Lord, David was, would be able to say, this is in 2 Samuel 22, this God, His way is perfect. The word of Yahweh proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Here in 1 Samuel, when he writes Psalm 56, Psalm 34, kind of at the beginning of, of his, well, he hasn't even started really his monarchy yet, his reign yet. So he's very early on in his public life. All the way to the end, where those words I just read from 2 Samuel are in the last words of David before he dies. He is able to say, your word is true. It did not fail me. When I put my refuge in him, I know your word is true. He would write Psalm 19 as well. About the heavens declaring the glories of God and the wonders showing forth his handiwork. But remember that, that portion in the middle of that psalm that speaks about God's word? 
and in six different ways David explores how God's word will never lead you astray man's word will but God's word won't you may bank on that also in verse 4 another aspect of Yahweh's um, character and actions into which you may pour your trust is that of his protection and so we see that in the second half of verse 4 in God I trust I shall not be afraid now when we read through and as we've been reading through so far in 1 Samuel and we're going to continue reading in 1 Samuel occasions where it tells us that David was afraid so he went off here he ran here he did this he did something else because he was afraid but here in this psalm he reflects on the Lord's deliverance of him and who God is and recognizes that there is nothing that flesh can do to him that Yahweh does not ordain basically David understands that nothing can destroy a child of God that doesn't mean we won't go through suffering and trial and difficulty right we do those things it's the fallen world we live in and the Lord uses those things many times to either chastise us if we need correction and sometimes it's just those two favorite words of, of well, all of us we just love those words character building <laughs> we don't really because we know what that means but nothing will destroy you when you are in God's hands Romans 8 speaks to that so eloquently doesn't it nothing can destroy you David would write in Psalm 91 he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler over and over through the Psalms David speaks of God as his refuge the one into whom he will run to hide because when the Lord surrounds you nothing can touch you your soul is safe and you may rejoice in that you can trust in that protection you can also trust in Yahweh's justice in verse 7 after describing this list of of those uh, of his enemies of the actions of his enemies injuring his cause uh, uh, plotting against him stirring up strife lurking watching his steps waiting for his life a miserable way to live and yet what does David say will they escape for their crimes and it's a rhetorical question the answer is absolutely not in wrath cast down the peoples O God he knows that God is just and you can trust that justice as well way back in the book of Genesis in verse 18 or chapter 18 the Lord has told Abraham that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and you know from our from our position we can look at that and go well certainly if any place ever deserved to be destroyed it would be Sodom and Gomorrah but what does Abraham do? He cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, if there's any righteous here, and he does this again and again and again, the number keeps
keep shrinking. But essentially, if there's any righteous uh, folks here, will you destroy the city? And the Lord continually, continually responds, well, if there's 50, if there's 30, if there's 10, whatever, uh, I won't destroy it. But, De- uh, but uh, Abraham's plea to the Lord, as he says, look, if, there's righteous, or if there are righteous people here, Will you destroy the city? And then he asks the question, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham recognized that justice was part of God's very character. That he's not arbitrary. Now ultimately, what did God do? He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was absolutely just because of the sin and rebellion that was going on in that place. But God also delivered Lot and his family from that city. Abraham recognized that justice. In the book of Isaiah, we read in verses uh, in chapter 48, verse 22, There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. It's an interesting thing. Uh, we we want to be magnanimous and kind, do we not, to others? Of course we do. But sometimes I think Christians are a little too quick to say, bless you to other people. Well, hear me out on this. I'm not trying to be unkind. We wish well for people. We don't want to see people hurt or whatever. But the word blessing, I think, is used too broadly we, we kind of take it, we kind of rob it of its theological significance are we really if, depending on who it is we're talking to if a person is walking in abject rebellion against God, do we say bless you to them are we asking God to bless what is wicked I guess if you mean bless them by redeeming them and helping them be, you know, turn from their sins, repent and come to faith in Christ, go for it. But I don't think we're usually using it in that way. I think we need to be a little more thoughtful about that. David has no problem in the Psalms asking for God to judge those who are in rebellion against him. And I don't think we should be timid about that either. And we can still as we read in the New Testament, you know, hating the garments spotted by the flesh, try to snatch people out of the fire with urgency and fervency out of compassion for them. Sure, absolutely, let's do that. But let's be careful not to essentially call good what is evil. Um, David doesn't do that. He looks at and, and it's kind of hard to understand, hard to know here in, chapter, in uh, Psalm 56 whether he's speaking of Saul and those who are chasing him, or if he's thinking about the wicked, uh, rebellious Philistines. He could have both in mind, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But he asked for God's justice to be done, that those who are seeking his life without cause uh, would be punished. When you face difficulty and those who are working uh, against you and and saying all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake we can rejoice in that follow Jesus uh, uh, command 
But at the same time, um, when those who, you know, some people do that out of ignorance and some people do it persistently with intention. And to ask God for justice in that case is a perfectly appropriate thing. And the Lord does honor that prayer. You can trust Him to be just. He's not going to be arbitrary. He's not going to um, uh, just be, you know, mean to other people just because we ask Him. Like we're, uh, you know, little kids where we get mad at our brother and sister and we go to mom and dad and go, get him, <laughs> basically. He deserves this. Uh, that's something a little bit different. But when there's an actual sin that's being done against you or against God uh, and God's name and character, to ask for God to be just is asking Him to walk consistently with His character. And He will do that. Uh, verse 8 gives us another aspect of Yahweh's uh, person and actions that you and I can trust in. And that is this sweet verse you have kept count of my tossings put my tears in your bottle are they not in your book you can trust Yahweh's tender care or compassion if you will for you in Psalm 103 one of my favorite psalms we read this ver- these verses as a father shows compassion to his children so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. The imagery here in uh, Psalm 56 is just, it's, it's precious. This imagery of the bottle. Now, I don't know about you guys. uh, We have, all of us have different ways of, keeping track of keepsakes and memories, right? Some of you are great scrapbookers. Uh, Others have, uh, like, I've got a trunk full of stuff. I confess I haven't looked in it for quite a few years. But nonetheless, there's some pretty important things from my childhood, other things that are there, that are kept away in a safe place. Uh, That's the imagery here, that in in a bottle, in a jar, that these tears representative of the sorrows and the cares and concerns of his children it's it's the imagery of Yahweh keeping these things in this precious safe place it's a cherished possession to him he knows who we are he knows our weakness he knows our frailty he does not abandon us to those frailties but he takes those things in and keeps them near to his heart that's the image that we have here. That's the tender care of our God. This is one of the, well, one of the many differences between, for example, the God of Islam, Allah, and the God of the Bible, Yahweh. Though it's often claimed that there, it's really just another name for the same God, it is not. Allah is, is cruel. Allah has no care for anyone or anything but himself. Allah is to be feared without love. And just to be uh, absolutely obeyed without question. 
without any regard for actual relationship. Whereas Yahweh cherishes His children, holds them near to His heart. That image of carrying the lambs in His bosom, that of, 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 of on His shoulder, of in His arms, those kinds of images over and over again. This is the God you and I love and serve, and you can trust that tender care. He does not uh, act towards us in cruelty, and even when He chastises us and punishes us, it's for our correction, for our good, so that our relationship can be all that much stronger, all that much more secure, as we recognize that He loves us so much that He doesn't let us get away with stuff. But he keeps us in line because the Lord chastens those whom he loves and he scourges every son that he receives. So even in those times, we may know that he is tenderly caring for us. I love this verse just beautifully pictures the heart of your God. You can also trust his knowledge at the end of verse 8 there. Are they not in your book? This, the book imagery is used from time to time throughout the scriptures, the book of life, for example, that sort of thing. But this, in this particular uh, verse here, David's not thinking about the book of life. He's just using this imagery of how God has written things down, kind of like a diary. He knows. He's got it down. He remembers. He hasn't forgotten. Uh, do you remember, to use the word remember, um, where Israel is there in the land of Egypt and they are just struggling in the midst of their bondage and the hardship and the heartache and all that's there and they call out to the God, uh, call out to the Lord and then what does it say uh, that God did then God remembered he remembered now had God ever actually forgotten but from sometimes from our perspective it feels like he has there are other psalms psalm 77 comes to mind and there are others as well where david and others cry out lord have you forgotten us like we read one right there in psalm 42 uh which is there's some messianic stuff going on there too that kind of uh we'll, we'll see similar passages in the ministry of jesus christ but that question have you forgotten have you forgotten? And no, he hasn't forgotten. He knows. We, we just read, he knows our frame. He knows how we're built. He knows what's going on with us. And he has not left us to our own devices. You can trust in him. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Why are you fretting? Why are you anxious? He said, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how detailed God's knowledge is about you and more. In 1 John, the Apostle says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. When you're struggling with guilt, He knows all about it. When you confess your sins before Him, He knows all those things. 
When you cry out to Him for help, He knows what you need. When He looks at your heart, He knows the redemption that you need. He knows the comforts that you need. When you look at your bank account, when you look at your health, when you look at your friends and other relationships, He knows what's going on there. And He knows what you need. And our God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. Because He knows. A lot of advertising goes on um, about how much we need. Advertisers, businesses tell us, you need this, you need that, you need the other thing. I was in sales for a while, way back when, when I was in seminary. Tried it for a year, absolutely hated it, quit. Um, It was insurance, which made it even worse. And uh, yes, I was an insurance salesman. Try not to hold it against me. Uh, to be to be to be uh, to be honest, I was terrible at it because my trainers and my boss were like, "You need to go in. You need to tell them that they need this product and they need this product and they need this and they need this." And I'd get there, and people would go, "I don't need this. I've got da 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 da." I'd go, "Yeah, you're right. You you look pretty good. Let's have a cup of coffee." And we just visit for a while. I didn't sell very much at all. Um, but a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that think they know what you need. Right? The one who really knows what you need is God. That's not to say that humans don't occasionally have a glimmer of light. To, ah, yeah, okay. They got it right. But uh, God always gets it right. He knows it all. Everything. And you can trust in that. Keep in mind still, we're in this context of David fleeing from Saul and having escaped by acting like a madman. By the skin of his teeth, he gets out of there. And he comes to understand that you can really trust Yahweh. Verses 9 and 10 are awesome as well. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Now, there's lots of people out there that love to say, Oh, God's on my side. Or if they try to be a little more holy, they might say, I'm on God's side. Uh, see it in sports a lot, right? We won today. God was really with us. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, we can talk about the theology of that later. Um, God was probably w- with you whether or not you won or lost. Depending on what his purposes were. But nonetheless... Why is David saying this? He's just arbitrarily saying, God is with me because I'm such a great guy. Because, um, you know, I, I learned a lesson here, so God's going to hang in there with me now. No. That thought is based upon what follows in verse 10. And look at, in, the, in this Hebrew parallelism, how David changes basically one word, and it changes the meaning of everything. We've already seen in verse 4, right? In God, whose, whose word I uh, uh, praise. Here in verse 10, he says the same thing. In God, in Elohim, which is a more general title, the Almighty One. In the Almighty One, whose word I praise. In Yahweh, whose word I praise. In God, Elohim, I trust. What's the significance of that? 
This name change here is for emphasis. He's saying, I praise Elohim's word. I praise Yahweh's word. Why is that significant? Because it demonstrates that the power of God is personal. And it's applied personally to me. Because Yahweh is God's covenant name. God is Elohim to everyone. He's Yahweh to His people. And He said to Israel, By my name Yahweh is how I shall be known. That, by the way, is why we use Yahweh every time we see the all caps Lord in our readings. Because we want to bring that out. Because that's what is behind those all caps. So we have here David stating, I'm praising the word of not just the Almighty One, but the One who is in covenant with me. That's how I know that God is for me. Because He said He is. Because He's committed Himself by blood covenant to be mine. And it's that covenant faithfulness of our God that ensures that His power sustains us. To sustaining His children. In verse 13, we read another aspect of God's uh, person and actions that we can trust, and that's His deliverance. In 13a, You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling. This is a, a familiar uh, theme in David's writings. In uh, Psalm 34, which is the other psalm that we're going to look at in a few weeks that comes out of this, he makes this statement, I sought Yahweh, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Did Yahweh deliver David from all his dangers? The answer is no. I mean, his whole history is going to be one out of one frying pan into the next fire. But he <clears throat> delivers David, he says, from all my fears. In the midst of those things, David learned to trust his God that God would deliver him. Take a look at Psalm 107, if you will. We won't take time to look at all of this, but just a couple of passages here. Uh, one, uh, to begin with, in this particular section, verses uh, 23 through 30. And this is the passage about those who go down to the sea in ships, that do business on great waters. These are the ones that see the wonders of the Lord, to see His works in the deep. And he commands, the Lord does, and raises up the stormy wind, lifts up the waves of the sea. The, the waves are immense. They're, they go up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. And look at verse 26. Their courage melted away in their evil plight, or the evil condition. And they're staggering around. They're at their wit's end. And they cry to the Lord. And he delivers them. He brings them into their desired haven. Beautiful picture of the peace that God brings to us out of turmoil and out of strife. David's crying out to the Lord here in Psalm 56. He cried out to the Lord uh, there in Gath, uh, in his heart anyway. 
and sought the Lord's deliverance, and the Lord did indeed deliver him. Deliverance comes in different forms, doesn't it? Sometimes it can be uh, a restoration of our fortunes. It can be rebuilding of relationships. It can be um, provision of of jobs or or uh, uh, just deliverance from challenges in the, the as we pursue the various plans of our lives. The greatest deliverance of all is that of our souls when we cry out to Him. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, redeems us out of our sin and bondage and turmoil and fear and gives us peace that passes all understanding. This is the nature of our deliverance, and if the Lord delivers our souls, will He not deliver every other aspect of our existence? Paul speaks of that, does he not, in Romans chapter 8, once again, where he speaks of those that were predestined unto life. God takes them all the way to glory. His deliverance is complete and perfect. He doesn't abandon those whom he calls to himself. So you can trust Yahweh's deliverance. And in that deliverance, he doesn't deliver us just to put us on a pedestal or to uh, put us in a glass case. He delivers us so that we may walk faithfully before him. And then look at this last section of verse uh, 13. Uh, sorry, back in Psalm 56. Uh, you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Several passages came to mind here. But the Lord has delivered us so that we may walk before Him in holiness, pursuing those things that He calls us to. And when He puts us on a pathway, you can trust that pathway. Even as David would say in Psalm 23, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me goes back to trusting the Lord's presence in person. And I thought of Isaiah 35, where, uh, speaking of the restoration of Israel, ultimately, the prophet writes, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And that led me to the whole idea of Uh, the concept of broad is the way that leads to destruction narrow is the way that leads to life that narrow way can be a challenging way and yet it is the way that God has put us in and you and I can trust that pathway in his word we've already talked about he tells us where that pathway is through the Lord Jesus Christ who is the way the truth and the life back in Psalm 107 Some are wandering in desert wastes, we read there, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They're hungry, they're thirsty, their soul fainting within them. They cry to Yahweh in their trouble, and He delivers them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. In the Lord Jesus Christ, He's given us the way to fellowship with God and eternal life. And you can trust 
that pathway. Well, trusting to his own strategies, David moved too quickly to try to hide among the Philistines, and it almost cost him everything. He needed to do some fast thinking, did he not, to extract himself. But as he lived through this experience, he learned something. First, he learned a lesson about not trusting himself too much. And secondly, he learned a lot about trusting in Yahweh. There are times when you and I are our own worst enemies. Like David, we're often too quick to assume that we have a great plan for managing our troubles. But why would you trust yourself, frail, fallen, fearful, when you have a mighty God to trust? The one who is graciously with us, protecting us, providing for us, delivering us, caring for us in perfect knowledge and justice. Yahweh will never lead you astray, brothers and sisters. He will never fail you. You can trust Yahweh. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are trustworthy, faithful, good, powerful. We thank you, Lord God, for this reminder from Psalm 56 and 1 Samuel 21. Thank you for the reminder that we must not trust in ourselves and that we must absolutely trust you. Thank you for never failing us. Thank you for showing that most marvelously in the person and work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray.